Colossians chapter 1, and I am going to pick it up in the middle of the chapter. It's not a normal division in terms of thought, but Paul in this chapter at this point is talking about the way the Father relates to us. In verse 13, he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now remember, we're talking about creation and care for the whole of creation. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then he goes on to talk about having once been alienated, we are now reconciled with God. But it's this whole thing of Jesus is the one who creates, he's the one who sustains, and all things are going to be brought back together in him. So, I want to touch on a very simple thing this morning. Last week we looked at how um, human beings, every single human being on this planet is special, is um, of equal value as far as God is concerned. And when we're looking at caring for God's creation, that's the place that we start. This morning I want to look at a very simple concept of what it is to be Saved. What is redemption about? What is reconciliation all about when you talk about it in terms of creation? So, let me tell you a story. A couple of stories. I went to a Baptist Bible college after school. And one of the things we had to do was, because we were trying to get people saved, we had to go knocking on doors. And I was assigned a heavily built-up area where there were a whole bunch of flats. And for those of you from South Africa, you may know Bedford View. And it was a poorer area of Bedford View, let me tell you. We, 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 we went out in pairs, because that's biblical, and we went out knocking on doors. We had in our hands little bits of uh, tracks and little things about the four spiritual laws, and we were full of zeal. We were were ready to sweep all these people into the kingdom, to see them saved. I was 16. Fast forward a couple of years. I've been to Bible college. I've been to university. I'm now a youth worker with the Assembly of God. And we take two or three kids down to the bus depot at the docks in Port Elizabeth. 
under the flyover, where all the people who are working on the docks gather to catch the bus back to the township. And we've got about six or eight of us there. I'm in charge of these kids. And we have tracks that we are handing out that we are going to make these guys understand what it is that Jesus has done for them. It was a hostile reception. I got beaten up. Seriously. I managed to just hold on to my watch because they tried to steal my watch and all sorts of other things. But there was a kind of passion to see people come into the kingdom because Jesus came for people to be saved. And I was reading a little while back, uh, Tony Campolo tells the story of him flying out of uh, Norfolk, Virginia airport. I don't know how big it is. But there was a young man who was working the crowd. As people were waiting to fly out, he was working the crowd. And he was going from individual to individual, asking them if they were saved. And he stood off on the side watching this whole thing happening. And he said there was a, an old man with gray hair kind of snoozing. And this young man walked over to him and stood in front of him and cleared his throat. And this old man opened his eyes and looked at him and this young man bent forward and said to him, Are you saved? And this man looked at him and said, I am. But in his zeal, this young man wasn't going to let him get off that lightly. So he said, can you tell me exactly when you were saved? And this man paused, apparently, looked at him and said, well, not exactly. You see, it was about 2,000 years ago. And I only just found out about it. (laughs) We have a concept of what it is to be saved. And we've been tutored and trained into what it means for us to make sure that that salvation is broadcast, if you like. I'll take a step back, a long step back, as you can see, right to the first page. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we know what happens. We've just read it from Paul's perspective. In a way, Colossians 1 is the condensation of Paul's understanding of this whole thing of a cosmic creation and a cosmic reconciliation and salvation. So in Genesis 1, you have the beginning of creation. There was chaos It was all disrupted and God speaks and says, let there be this and there was this. And it was morning and evening the first day and the second day and the third day. And and so it goes on. And as you get further on, it says, and God saw that it was good in verse 21. And he blessed them. That's the, the, the animals and the birds and so on. He blessed them. 
And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas. Fill the, let the birds multiply on all the earth. And then we come to the next day. And after God saw the cattle and all that sort of stuff made, he said it was good. And then we come to the creation of man. And I was chatting to a friend on Friday and he said, we must never forget that we come last in the line. There's a certain humility that needs to be there. And that the whole creation is a place where we are all. It's our environment. There was a book that's just been published about six months ago that speaks of how we are all in all of us. There is a sense of cosmic uh, connectedness because none of us are, we made up of all kinds of stuff from all over the cosmos. And God looked at it at the end of it all and he says, this is very good. Now I just want to remind you, that's the first chapter of, of Genesis. And I just want to remind you that as we go into a, a recapitulation, if you like, of the story in chapter 2, it explains how we were made. Do you remember? Do you remember how we were made, human beings, man? From? We are clods of clay, essentially. And God takes that. And how did it come to life? He breathed into it. The same as in Ezekiel, that imagery of all the bones coming together and the sinews. In a sense, the creation of man. And then the Spirit of God breathes on it. The Ruach of God, the wind of God, the breath of God. But that's not all. Because there's a malignant force involved. There's a cancerous element and we know as we've been in the church, most of us for some time, that there's this satanic corrupting force. And the devil comes to Adam and Eve and there's a sense of brokenness that enters in, a fallenness. And most of us have come through in some form an evangelical background. And so salvation has been seen for all of us, essentially in the light of being its salvation for human beings. But here's an interesting thing that I think is really important. If we are going to have a right relationship with uh, our world, the world we live in, the created order that God has created, we leap all the way through to John, 1 John chapter 5, one of John's letters that he wrote. And at the end of it, it says... We know that we are of God. We, that's, that's, we, we know deep and profoundly that we are of God, says John. And then he says this. And the whole world lies in the evil one. Some of your translations add in, in the power of the evil one. But the whole world lies in the evil one. There is a sense in which the whole of creation is corrupted. It's not just that humans fell. The whole world has been invaded by a cancerous growth, a corrupting force, a destructive element that has twisted it 
so that Paul, when he writes to the Romans, he says the whole of creation groans in eager anticipation of the revelation of the sons of God. In other words, the whole creation is corrupted, not just human beings. Everything that we see isn't quite what it used to be. If you look at other human beings and we say you are able to see the fact that God is at work in every single person that you meet on the planet. Well, God is at work throughout the whole of creation, the whole of his created order. But it isn't pristine in the way that he created it because it's corrupted because of what happened at that point, at that juncture. But we merrily go on and say, who will quote John 3.16 for me? There you go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, I will never, I will always have that verse imprinted in my mind as Billy Graham stood at the Wanderers Cricket Stadium with thousands of people of one of the first mixed meetings ever during apartheid South Africa was his meeting at Wanderers Cricket Ground where there were just people from all over who came. And he said, for God so loved the world. But in our minds, we've imprinted this thing that he loved the world. The world we see as you and you and black and white and yellow and all the other colors. We, we intrinsically see it as God loves human beings. Therefore, he sent his son to come and die for the world. Here's the kicker. When John writes in John, 1 John 5 verse 19... He says, the whole world lies in the evil one. He uses a specific word in Greek. He uses the word cosmos. Now, we use the word cosmos to describe cosmological, which is this, it, it's all of created order. The whole of the universe, if you like. And, and what John is saying is this whole created order lies in the evil one, lies in the power, has been corrupted. Everything that we see isn't as it was in the beginning. Here's, here's the other interesting thing. When John writes and he records in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, it's exactly the same word. It's for God so loved the cosmos. You see, when God created it, and day one he says, this looks good. Day two he says, this looks good. What is he saying? He's saying, I have created this to be what it is, to be fully and truly what it is. Light and sea and stones and mountains and goats and whatever. I've created this as good. And at the end of it, he steps back and he looks at this whole thing that he's created and he says, it's very good. In other words, he puts his seal of approval on it. What happened in the garden, as we say, with the devil coming to Eve and then to Adam and then the whole unwinding of things, is that corruption enters into the whole system. Everything is broken. Now, it's obviously not completely broken, but it, it, it continues to spiral downwards until Jesus comes. And he says, 
I've come to save the world. He's reconciling the world back to himself, back to God. Jesus comes and he says, essentially, enough. And the, the, the conquering of the cross is a resolution of this whole thing. That we now are moving back towards what God has desired. The kingdom of God is the way God wants it to be. Now, I haven't got time this morning to, to, to look at the whole thing of the new earth and new heaven, new creation. Maybe next week. But I, I need us to get this point. That God is as interested in the daisy in the field as he is in my life or yours. He's as interested in what we do digging coal out the ground as we are about saying, are you saved to somebody and making sure that they have an insight in what Jesus has done for them. There's no distinction. We are all part of this glorious thing of creation that speaks of his majesty and his power and his love and his grace. That's why we pre pre the prelude to all this is the Sermon on the Mount, because everything is driving towards love. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Yes, we are forgiven our sins. The son is the image of the invisible God. He's the representative of, 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 of the majestic deity of who God actually is. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Jesus is intrinsically involved in the creation of absolutely everything. Everything. Not some things, not the beautiful thing, everything. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him, and for him. It's like a closed circle with him at the center. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. If it weren't for the fact that God holds things now, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but unless there were Unless there were a force that holds the universe together, it would, it would disintegrate. It would, I think, disappear. The only, thing, the only reason we exist is because God created us, and he holds us, and he sustains us. And what God is doing is he's bringing us in Jesus, reconciling us back to the way that we were supposed to be in the beginning. That's what salvation is. Salvation is far bigger, wider, more intricate, more beautiful than just the fact that when I die, I go to heaven. We'll look at that. I'm sure we'll look at that next week because I want to say that that's not adequate. It's not enough. 
It's way more interesting and exciting and energizing than just that. Keep losing my place here because I'm recording this. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness live in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. God is busy reconciling the whole of creation back to himself, making it back to what it was like right at the beginning. I said to you last week that I'm not going to come and tell you all the chaotic woes of what's going on in the world. I saw this week the Green Party, the guy who started the Green Party says, it's already too late to make the changes we need to stop the planet overheating and so on. He's, he's a pessimist. The point is that there is an end point in this whole process where Jesus will say, so far and no further. We call it the second coming. It's perhaps not the best way of saying it because he's still with us. It's perhaps his reappearing would be a better way of, of describing it. But when he reappears, what he's going to do is he's going to gather all of this stuff up and make things back to what they were. It's already been accomplished in the cross. The crucifixion of Jesus is the accomplishment of all the stuff that God wanted to do. What's happening between then and, and the reappearing of Jesus is that we are gathering up as much as we can into God's kingdom, to, to the way that he does it, to his way of doing things. And that's why it's so important for us to live lives of integrity and to be congruent with what we believe and to, to, to turn things upside down because that's what God is going to restore. And we are, the church is, in that sense, a tiny little glimpse into the future. Us ragtag bunch of strange people are actually the hope of what God has done. So, one last time, let me read this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness live in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have it, everlasting, eternal, full life. <laughs>